Our first scripture reading comes from Psalm 96, verses 1 through 6, 11, and 13. Listen for the word of God. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to God all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless God's name. Tell of God's salvation from day to day. Declare God's glory among the nations, God's marvelous works among all people. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, indeed to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the sovereign made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before God. Strength and beauty are in God's sanctuary. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the woods sing for joy before God who comes, who comes to judge the earth, who will judge the world with righteousness and the nations with truth. Our second scripture is from the book of Kings, chapter 18, verses 20 through 39. Listen for the word of God. So Ahab sent to all the Israelites and assembled the prophets at Mount Carmel. Elijah then came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets number 450. Let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire is indeed God. All the people answered, well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bowl, prepare it first, for you are many, then call on the name of your God, but put no fire to it. So they took the bowl that was given, prepared it, called on the name of Baal, and morning until noon they, kept, they cried, O oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no answer. They limped about the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, surely he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he has wandered away, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. Then they cried aloud, as was their custom. They cut themselves with swords and lances until the blood gushed out all over them. As midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no answer, no response. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come closer to me. And all the people came closer to him. First he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. 
Then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to contain two measures of seed. Next he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. Again he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar and filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of the oblation, the prophet Elijah came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your bidding. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and even licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord indeed is God. The Lord indeed is God. We have the advantage of 5,000 years of Jewish tradition. And those, that tradition has been around, and it's been around for a long time, and everything seems secure. But back in Elijah's time, back then, what was going to happen to the faith? Ahab, who is a king of the northern, he marries Jezebel for political reasons. Jezebel, not a nice woman, worshipped all her local nation deities. How many of you have heard the idea that Judaism is monotheistic? Anybody hear this? You know what monotheism is? Mono meaning one, theism meaning, this is not hard, this is from God, one God. But actually, in the history of the Jewish faith, monotheism came later. It was really what is um, properly understood as henotheism, one God among many. Every one of the tribal areas, not every one of the nations outside had their own God. The Hittites had their God. The Cushites had their God. Everybody had their own gods. Everybody recognized those were gods, small g gods. And Israel was like, our God is the true God. It isn't until 2nd Isaiah that you have the idea that is pre presented in the Psalms today <clears throat> that all those other gods, excuse me, <clears throat> are actually idols. The idea in Israel at the time was the Lord is the true God amidst all these other little deities. If you think of the Greeks, you know, you got Poseidon, you got Zeus, you got Hermes, you got, you know, all of these gods. Is this making any sense? I'm, am I losing people here? All right. This is all the hard stuff. So Elijah, the first time he goes to the king, he says, because you're not doing what you're supposed to do, because you're introducing all these foreign gods, it is not going to rain. It is not going to rain until God says it will rain. Have a nice day. And then what's he do? Remember that? What's he do? He runs away because he knows it's not going to rain. Now it's years later and everybody now knows that when Elijah preaches or Elijah prophesies, something real is going to happen. 
And Elijah thinks he is the last prophet left in Israel. Think about this. The very faith of Israel is hanging in the balance. And Elijah says, okay, let's do this. You got 450 prophets of Baal. You guys go up to Mount Carmel, set up your altar, cut up a bull, put it on the altar, and you call on your God. And you have that God consume the offering. Don't, don't put fire to the wood. Don't put fire to the wood. Let your God do the work. And then I will put up my altar, and I will cut up my bull by myself, slowly. And then we will both call on so all day long, this is great. Have you, can, you, can you imagine this? So the prophets of all, they cut up the, they cut up the bull, they put it on the, on the altar, and the whole time, Elijah's saying, maybe your God can't hear you. Maybe he's meditating. Maybe he went on vacation. One of the one of the ways you can actually translate this is maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's indisposed. So you need to keep calling. So and they're and they're cutting on themselves and they're they're dancing and they're they're beseeching all day long. And then finally Elijah does his thing and he says, "Okay, and this is good theater, right? This is Elijah was a good this is good theater." He says, "Okay, now now fill this jar of water and 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 pour it on the offering. Pour it on the wood, pour it on the bowl. This big jar does it four times so that this trench is completely filled with water. And then Elijah calls on the name of God. The lightning comes down, consumes the entire offering, consumes the wood, consumes the rocks, consumes the dust, and all of the water is lapped up. And everybody says, Oh, okay. And the story actually ends here for the reading. Does anybody know what happens next in the story? You know what happens next in the story. He gets all the prophets of all killed. He puts them to the sword. That's right. We have a winner. Not the prophets of all. They, they, they didn't win that one. But, you know, he's arranged with the people, and they kill all of them. So what happens to Elijah again? He runs. That's what Elijah does. He prophesies, and then he runs. I mean, this is the life of a prophet is spent half of it on the run and half of it doing what God wants. The question that I have for you is, do we do any better today? What are our gods? Who are the gods that we really worship? I mean, back then, I don't think it was all that hard to compete with Baal, you know, because it is just an idol. But we have other more powerful gods today, don't we? What do we worship today? Money? Money. Fame. You have a beautiful, soft, dulcet toned voice that I didn't catch. The phone? Oh, the phone. 
Yeah, normally Vicky says, you know, turn it to silent or, or, or set it to stun, which is probably a better. What else do we worship? We put on our money and God we trust. How much of our money actually goes to defense? A lot. Yeah, we, we trust God, but not enough to, you know, not spend a third of our GDP on. What else? Self? Our health. There are no wrong answers here. This is, again, this is a time, this is the public shout-out time that you just let her rip because there are, literally there are no wrong answers. Entertainment. Hollywood. Youth. Vigor. All that good stuff. We want to feel good. We still worship all these other gods. And, and we are in a situation today where we have a harder struggle, I think, right now than the ancient Israelites did. Because we're competing against, let's say, who is the church competing against right now for loyalty? Let's pick the Rotary Club. Okay? The Rotary Club is, their goal right now is to knock out, was it, is it polio? What's their goal? I used to know this. I was a Rotary fellow. Rotary Club. The Rotary Club does great things. You guys are, here we go, you're going to build wells in Africa. We got other people doing what? Sending lights to India. Are these good things? Right? Do they need the church? We nod our heads. How many Rotarians are part of a church? Maybe half? A lot of people, this is the scary thing. The church often believes that the rest of the world is hostile to the church. How many of you believe that? That the rest of the world is hostile to the church. I think the larger issue is the rest of the world doesn't think the church matters anymore. You don't have to be part of the church to do good works. You can be part of Rotary. My father was in Kiwanis. There are a thousand service organizations that do good things that don't require you to have faith in God, that do really good things. So why do you need, let's say, the church, or why do you need the synagogue? Why do you need God? Because a lot of them are very atheistic. Why do you need God? Why do we need God? The church is supposed to be the light of the world. Unfortunately, most of the time, it is the tail light. When society has deemed that something is safe, the church jumps on board and shines its light, the tail light. The United Church of Christ is not a large denomination. Why? Because we have tried very hard to be a headlight. The United Church of Christ defended the slaves on the Amistad. The United Church of Christ, or its founders, were the first to ordain 
women. We fought for, you know, the marriage between blacks and whites when it was not popular. We were the first major denomination to ordain openly gay and lesbian people. And at a synod about a hundred years ago, not that far back, we had a Senate resolution advocating for same-sex marriage. Long before the other denominations are finally catching up. Is that church relevant today? We are at the same time where a lot of people say, you do not need the church. I've got secular organizations that are fighting for same-sex marriage. I got secular organizations that are fighting for all of these causes that the UCC is fighting for, and some of them, quite frankly, do a better job than we do in practical terms. Certainly have more money. So why is the church important? Why did you guys want to come to a church to solemnize your love? And you don't have to answer that right now. I'm not, that's a... Obviously, I wear the stole. I spent a lot of time in seminary, three years, four years in school before that, about six years of school after that, because I'm one of those retards that can't get it right. I think this stuff is important. Worshiping God and worshiping the right God with a big G makes all the difference in the world and today's reading about whether you will worship Baal, and if you don't remember Baal, uh, Baalzebub, have you, how many of you heard that? The Lord of the Flies, which in the New Testament becomes the Prince of Darkness. You know, these terms represent all of these things that detract us away from what really matters. I got to tell you, I'm thrilled that you guys are going to do something with young girls. Because young girls are trying to figure out that if they are, we want to teach, we teach young girls that they are created in the image after the likeness of God. That their bodies are sacred. And nobody should be messing with that. And yet in our society, if you're going to be popular, you got to be beautiful, you got to be young, you probably need some Mary Kay, you know, you, you, whatever. And young girls need to, what, what do they need to do with their boyfriends? If you're going to keep a boyfriend, you got to fill in the blank. Is that what God is telling us today? That's what the gods of our culture are telling us. But is that what our God teaches? Some people don't like it when the church gets, quote-unquote, political. I'm sorry. Elijah was political. The personal is political. These things matter to us. And we as a church are at that crossroads. And I look at the story and I shake in my shoes because who is going to stand up like Elijah and risk looking like a fool if lightning doesn't come down to consume that altar? Isn't it easier just to stay on the sidelines and say, if the lightning comes down, then I'll change my position. 
God calls us to be faithful. And if we're not faithful, then we're not going to step out in front and say, I want you married in our church. Because it is what Jesus would preach. And if Jesus was here today, he'd be saying, amen. The church needs to be the headlight, not the taillight. And if you believe the church matters, like I believe, then we have to figure out what we're going to do. And it can't just be doing what everybody else is doing. It's got to be the fact that we worship the living God that gives us the framework for everything else. It gives us the foundation to say this matters and here's why. Yeah, do that. Let us together open our hearts to what the living God is calling us to do. Amen.